Um, I should move this mint out of my mouth. Okay. I know. So. I was thinking the same thing. I gotta break it down. Let's just bite it. Um, it's good if you bite it too. Okay. So to go I'm, I'm gonna let you bite it before. I pause. That's what the hyper masculine dudes say. <laughs> Instead of no homo now. I had a pause. Pause. Joke. Pause. I forgot it though. <laughs> okay. So we're back, Farah and cousin. Cousin, how are you today? Cousin is good. Cousin, feeling great. I'm the third person. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you're feeling great. Um, so, we were talking in the car about how we're going to try to do a couple of segments that are regular. We're going to try some things out. And one of them was, like, random topic that, like, at the start of the show, we would just, one of us would throw out a random topic. And I had one on, on my heart and mind today because I just am very tickled and intrigued by it. And um, uh, I because there are two men in the room, Spiffler, as well, <laughs> um, I am, like, tickled to hear you all's opinion. Uh-oh. So it's just a random topic that I just saw on, on BuzzFeed. Um, okay, so there... Have you all heard of the Bad Girls Club? It's a reality show. They used to be on Oxygen. I don't know if it's still on. Yeah, I heard of it. Okay, both people have heard of it. So... Um, there was the Bad Girls Club. There were these girls called the Claremont Twins on the Bad Girls Club. And they were like like dark brown skin girls that were t- literally twins. Uh, black girls, if that's not evident. And I don't, re- I didn't ever watch that, that season. So I don't know what they were known for. But I just know they were like either crowd favorites or like very hated. One of those two. You know, they're like infamous from the Bad Girls Club. So I think they got kicked off the show at some point. Modern day, they have now like gotten complete body transformations. They've bleached their skin. <laughs> they wear nothing but long blonde wigs, and they're very popular on Instagram. Um, like one's name is Shannon, and the other one's name is like Sinead or something like that. Um, and they're they're literally just known as the Claremont Twins, and they have gotten like super nose reductions. Um, they're probably like a like a a light brown now, <laughs> and and they wear these like pissy blonde wigs like that's why I, I have my least favorite color of blonde it's like pissy blonde they wear what? super long what does pissy blonde it's look just like the color of a piss almost like it's not a, it's not a good blonde it's like a pissy blonde mm-hmm. um so yeah they are the claremont twins so i think they have a i will give them their due so i th- believe they have a lingerie line that they opened up um fairly recently and they like they have a website and everything as far as I know and they sell lingerie and that's how they're apparently funding their lifestyles because post bad girls now on bad girls club they looked a little dusty but you know it's as dusty as the rest of us now they look very polished right, middle class dusty right right now they're high class you know high class polished and they've done a ton of plastic surgery like they both had implants they've had their hips done they've had their butts done they've had their tummies done they've had their noses done you know the whole oh thing so they literally look like you know manufactured and um they're just known for like posing in uh, designer clothes and being in luxurious locations and selling their um what do you call it lingerie so recently one of, or I think just today or yesterday, one of them got arrested. Mm. Um, it's very like tickled me. Not that it's funny, but it's just like intriguing. So one of them got arrested because the so basically this like rich white man died in like his penthouse Mm-mm. apartment. And see, aren't you intrigued? <laughs> I thought it was like grand larceny. No. 
she's a murderer. No, I don't think I don't think she killed him. Yeah. Let me scale back. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so she's not even charged with murder. So this rich white man died in his penthouse apartment. I think he was found the day after he died, and the police arrested her because they went through his cell phone and they found text messages that they've uh, they've attributed to her, um, where she basically arranged for her to come over and basically like he would pay her for sex. And they found like a baggie of cocaine and um, like a rolled up dollar bill to snort it. So they think he overdosed, uh, maybe on coke and... Probably at least a gram. Maybe, perhaps. Um, (laughs) I don't know anything about that, so I'm just going to keep talking. Okay, so (laughs) I think he, he overdosed, apparently. And... She allegedly took two of his, not not credit cards, debit cards, the hard cash. So she, <laughs> she took two of his debit cards out of his pocket, either after he died or like, you know, whatever. I don't know. She probably just freaked out and grabbed whatever. And she has been using them. I think he died like in May. So over the past <laughs> two months, she, <laughs> she has charged up $20,000 on this man's debit. I repeat, not credit, debit card. <laughs> And apparently none of his estate, the people in his family who are entitled to this money, I guess they didn't notice. I don't know what's going on. But um, so she's being charged with like wire fraud, bank fraud, some type of theft or something. Yes. Um, Because apparently she put like some of her travel on there. Uh, She paid her rent off of it. (laughs) A couple of things. First. Right. (laughs) So So, I just was very, like, intrigued by that story. Oh, my God. Because it's literally, like, one of these Instagram girls, if we're going to call it, that got caught up. And I just thought it was so interesting. And there, people have been wondering a lot about, like, how a lot of these girls, like, officially fund their lifestyles. Yeah. And because, you know, sometimes we have, like, rappers or whatever, like, the city girls or the trainers of the world who are, like, literally telling you on their record, girl, I'm getting coins for (laughs) my involvement with these people, my time cost money but that they're not like entertainers or anything as far as i know so they you know it's just very like typical instagram girl where you just see all of this stuff but you don't know where it comes from right. and it's like one of the first incidents where now somebody's getting caught up for you know living these fast lifestyles and i just wanted to hear like male opinions on it because i was very intrigued by it so feel free to say whatever first of all iconic <laughs> no not iconic <laughs> It's iconic. Any way you slice it, that's one of the best scams I heard of since Joanne the scammer. <laughs> See, Joanne's wig is a good blonde. It's not a pissy blonde. Okay, that's it's a good nice reference. Nice blonde. Yeah, that's okay, a nice. good reference. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that being iconic, um, it's crazy. Just it's sad. Number one, that first, like, why are they bleaching their skin? Mm. I have an idea, but I just would be interested. What have they said, if anything? Um, but the, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to be serious, but <laughs> it's just too funny that she was able to do all that in the era of Joanne the Scammer. I, <laughs> <laughs> Is it still Joanne's era? I'm, I'm not it's coming for Joanne. Okay, era. I don't know. I don't she don't do Joanne. too much. I, ain't, I, I haven't seen too much, but yeah. every once in a while, a video will pop up mm-hmm. or an appearance or something. It, for me, she don't really got to do too much else ever. <laughs> She's just still iconic. That's the just point show of up icon. somewhere and be and be Joanne. And that's it. It's so hilarious because it's it's just I don't know. I like Joanne. Good job, Joanne. What about Miss Claremont? 
Oh, she's a mess. She's a whole and complete mess. That's out of this world. I don't know. That's just too much for me. I'm a little overwhelmed by her shenanigans. Maybe she didn't steal the cards. Maybe like that was. She gave them to her. And she already had them before him. Yeah, it's quite possible. That's a. Because I mean, you should be her defense attorney. Why would she? You know what I'm saying? Why would she? She has like money from Andre. Why would she? Right. But that could be part of her defense. Like she didn't know he died. You said it's possible. I was going to ask. Oh, that you is said possible. she she had them mm. before he died or something or the use started so after So I don't think they so none of that was in the story on BuzzFeed. So that would be interesting. Um valid questions. Critical thinkers we have here. So <laughs> so um all I know is they said that there's a of course he lives in a penthouse so there's a doorman so the doorman said he remembered seeing a young lady go upstairs who said her name was audrey so that made them go um before this is like the last person he remembered going up there before they found out homeboy was dead so that made them go look at the film and i guess they figured out which twin it was by the film and also looking at like running back her phone number and seeing you know which person it was attached to yeah um, so that's a good question. Like, had she visited him, visited him several times? Were they in contact for a long period of time? And she was like an authorized user. And but you know, at some point, you would know somebody was dead. If because if you okay, if that's going to be your argument that you were dating this dude for months and you just had access to his debit card and you just thought, yeah, maybe he like passed out, but he wasn't dead. So you just went home. But then two months later, you don't hear from him anymore and you're still using his car. I don't think that's going to work. But so you know, know, sometimes when like really wealthy people, that is, it can be typical to like kind of quote unquote Fair disappear point. for like two months. Yeah. Like maybe and his plus, wife came back in town. If she was a sugar mama, which more likely she was because they was not serious in love with each other, then she probably would not care that he was gone if she still had Fair. that card. Fair. I'm telling you, you guys need to be her defense attorneys. Okay. So thank you for... Um, uh, indulging me on that. I was just very tickled by that. <laughs> Not, of course, by the man dying. That's very sad that you die of an overdose. It's like, far too common. But but tickled by the, the fact that, like, an IG girl got arrested officially. Okay. So, um, the first part of what I think we wanted to talk about was the, the album from the Carters. Um, oh. Because that was a thing that happened since the last time we recorded. Yeah, I've seen you about it a lot. I did. Did you? Yeah, a couple times, right? I didn't I catch did. any of that. I definitely I don't know did. where I am. Um, you don't be checking for me. I don't. <laughs> I don't check for many people, so don't be ashamed. She's shady. <laughs> shady boots. I'm choosy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I guess we were going to go into, like, our top five songs, some quotes that touched our spirits, our minds, whatever. Um, I, But I guess we could give, like, our general thoughts on the album in the first place. Uh, I love it because I I was thinking this in the car I and mean, it made me giggle, so I'll repeat it. I think shit talking is my favorite like art form, like my favorite art form of artistic expression uh, across all realms. So I'm quite a fan of people that shit talk, particularly like humble people that shit talk in, in certain moments. And I would consider Beyonce a humble person because she has a ton of accolades and unlike like, you know, the Nicki Minaj's of the world who at every at every turn they're telling you all the stuff that they've done because they feel like they're unappreciated or like the little Richards of the world. Nicki Minaj like the new little Richard. <laughs> Ugh, <listen. laughs> so 
like unlike those people, Beyonce is like very quiet and she just lets you know her accolades speak for themselves. But on the occasion, she will shit talk, and yes. I, that's what they did throughout this entire album. I feel like that's what keeps yeah, like keeps her star power there. You know what I'm saying? The it's mystique. Like the fact that she doesn't. You know, she's like. I feel like as far as I think of Nicki Minaj, she's more accessible mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. like a, a Beyonce. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it could be all, all in, like part plan. of the plan. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I have recently become a semi-fan of, like, Joe Budden, interestingly enough. Um, what? Wow. It's a long story. I don't wow. <laughs> Not of his music, because I'm not a fan of his music, but he's, like, rebranded himself as a media personality. Yes, I knew that that was music. what you were referring to. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you of all people, I don't want to hear it, but, but um, yeah, I'm a fan of media personality, Joe Budden. Yeah. Uh, and Wow. Actually, on he has a podcast, and I uh, on I think two episodes or something ago, he he was talking about how Nicki Minaj is not a superstar, and I immediately was like, what? Because I just equate in my mind when you say the word superstar, I equate it with kind of like your accomplishments, basically, like how many people are gonna come see you at a concert, how many albums you've sold, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Renown. Right, but he was saying it as like how you carry yourself. So he gave an example as he would consider Rihanna a superstar. And for a different reason than he considers um, Beyonce a superstar. So he considers Beyonce a superstar for kind of the same reason that Spiffer just said, where it's based on the fact that she's like very hands off. You can't, you don't have access to her. She's not readily available. She doesn't talk a lot. She has a mystique. You know, you don't know her everyday moves. She's not on Instagram every day. She's not on Twitter at all. She has an account, but she don't post. Like that type of stuff. Like that's kind of the traditional, kind of like Will Smith when he post when he made his Instagram page, he made like a 30 second video of why he like kind of how all his Instagram fame popped off. And one of the things he said was, I never had um, social media accounts because like when in my age, you had to be mysterious to be successful, like a successful uh, actor or superstar. Yeah. Wow. Right. And so he like never had um, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, because, well, first of all, he's really old. So they weren't around at first. But recently <laughs> um, they didn't become like he thought that you had to kind of still keep that mystique and be at arm's length. But then he was saying that for Rihanna. She's a superstar because it kind of just like emanates from her. Like she just does whatever she she wants. She's that type of superstar. Yes. Where she might cuss a fan out, but you still have respect for her because of the way it happened. Or right. she the might context. smoke a blunt and post a video of it and you're okay with it because you know that like she's genuinely I think that's what it is. It's like genuine behavior and somebody doing whatever they want. And that's kind of more like the rock star superstar thing, I think. Very and she much. I think she definitely has that down. But yeah, I forgot why I went on that rant. Um, How well you're just talking about why you like oh, Joe right. Button in relation. Oh, and I think I started with why I liked the whole album and the whole shit talking thing. And I think Spiffler is the one that mentioned the the arm's length, and that's why she's like a superstar. But yeah, so I I love shit talking. Number one, um, <laughs> <laughs> number two, to me it's very difficult to make substantive lyrics vibe with like like hard beats or to make something danceable and enjoyable and then make the lyrics have substance. I think mm-hmm. that's a hard balance to mm-hmm. to attain. And I think this album did very good at it, good at it. Not yeah. every single record is like, you know, like 
you know, black thought type of lyrics or whatever, you know, from, um, what's that, what's their band called? Black Thought's band. He's wow. The, the, the Roots. The Roots. Yeah. So it's not like it's the Roots level lyricism or anything, but I'm just saying like they put some substantive gems in there. Um, yeah. and there's a lot of things that they're talking about that I think are relevant, but you still are like trying to dance to or go, you know, be like, it's just a vibe. Like it's a good vibe, but it's still substance. And that's very hard to do. And I really appreciate when people are able to maintain that kind of balance, um, and do it successfully. And I think it made me like, it made me like appreciate Jay-Z more because, um, I like the way that they both came together and kind of created their own sound. Cause I would say that Beyonce's sound independently and his sound independently are not this at all. Uh, and I think they kind of figured out a way to create a new sound together as the Carters versus Beyonce and Jay-Z. Like, that's why I think they named it the Carters. They created their own little group because it's a different thing than them separate. So I feel like all those things are what made me really appreciate the album. How about you? Wow. So I just noticed that the microphone in front of me is a microphone that says blue on it. And it is blue. And it is blue. <laughs> Shout out blue. Because I ain't never seen a ceiling in my whole life either. <laughs> I couldn't. Talk about it. For real. But that album, yeah, it's the last thing that that cousin said is like what I love the most. Because right now, like we kind of in a time, I think anyway, where people are kind of like, and it's interesting that she mentioned Rihanna too, because Rihanna is the queen of the savage. And... <laughs> I know what she about when she says that, but it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like a time where the savage persona um, is popularized. Like how how much apathy can I demonstrate? Mm. Um, I don't care more than you don't care. Right. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so for the Carters to make that album, it's the third really of a trilogy. So Lemonade came out. Mm. It was Beyonce's perspective. And then 444 came out. It was Jay-Z's perspective. And now you have the Carters as a family unit again. And you have both of their, you know, the male, the female, the man, the woman, husband, the wife perspective. And then the couple back together again and what they're about. And I listened to all three. I got all three. (laughs) And it was so cool to experience the individual perspectives and then to have this one where it was both of them together. And just like cousin said, she ended it with the fact that it was a new sound. It wasn't like typical Jay-Z or typical Beyonce. Mm -hmm. It was something that was new. Even I like ape shit in the references to the younger generation and their style and like sound of music today. I really like that. It's kind of mosh pity. Mm. Um, they got the whole Migos ad-lib shit popping off. Um, the beat is dope. Just dope as fuck. It's kind of somewhere between trap, EDM, uh, stadium sound. That shit is so clean. I know. I can't I can't wait to see that in the stadium. Like, I just want to see it performed in the stadium. I turned it on on some Beats headphones, and it sounded so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real, I could not really imagine being in the stadium. I might go. I don't know. I might go next year. But... Um, yeah, as an album on the whole, I like the content and the fact that it was a good mix of like bounceable 
uh, boppable songs and then other stuff that's more contemplative. Mm-hmm. Um, even before I was an old head, I was into at least some songs on a CD being contemplative or um, nostalgic, thoughtful, slower pace. And none of them are like dance slow, really, except summer, kind of. Mm-hmm. You make love to summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's cool, too. It got a little bop. Um, <clears throat> and I like that it was kind of a little bit of everything, something to, you know, even take you through the summer. It's a little bit of everything for people who are listening for uh, career growth, because both of them are career artists. And if you have been a career fan, you can see probably more easily what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, like, I challenge you to, like, look at some of their earlier stuff or even just go back to Lemonade and 444 and this and just hear the gems, the uh, the little connections, the references to the different albums and the topics on the albums. Like, I forget which song, but on one of them. Uh, Beyonce say something slick about Jay-Z cheating and he like laughingly plays it off. I think Love Happy, the last one, yeah. That to me was so meaningful because for yeah. them to privately, of course they did that and they didn't have to, but for them to do that like on a record publicly is so, that's what I started to say. The album to me is like a representation of where we need to be headed. Mm. Like reconciliation, about family, what's the larger issue, and everything else that the two albums before was talking about, like healing, how do we treat our women, uh, men, how are we taking care of our families, even to the black community, like it's talking about legacies and saving money and things like that. Like it's a beautiful trilogy, really. Mm-hmm. And to me, this wrapped up that trilogy and I got all summer to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I think that when you just said the word legacy, that was literally, I was just waiting to like... I was double Dutch waiting to jump in to throw in that that was like my last thought on before we start going into the individual songs that we really like is I really think that you can tell very clearly that there are a couple whose focus is on legacy and like their imprint on the world. Um, And I don't think that that is very common for uh, for rappers. Uh, I want to say. Most entertainers in general that are not like that are their age, like particularly a 40 something year old rapper. Usually they're out of here by now. So for Jay-Z to be almost 50, I think he's like 46, 47, 48, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. It it would make sense for him to be worried about legacy. But Most of them don't even get to this place where they're kind of like able to manage being businessman and rapper um, and still be have some semblance of cool, even though I think... Did you see that photo of him on the jet ski? The original <laughs> one? The original one was cool. Then they started doing all this <laughs> other stuff. Yeah, man, they had this man on like, a child's roller coaster on one that I saw. Oh my I started God. to laugh, home, and then I, I scrolled past it, I promise. <laughs> no, I got all my giggles because he this deserves is, it. I saw a tweet, but I don't know if it was a real tweet, but it gave me a tickle regardless. It was like, happy 4th of July to everybody except the person that took that photo of me on the jet ski. And I don't know if he actually tweeted that, but that is hilarious if he did. Because he looked washed on that thing. Like, why do you have this thick-ass helmet on this 
jet ski. And then somebody juxtaposed the photos of Beyonce riding around in jet ski where she's literally like in a bikini and a life jacket, like living her best life with her wig blowing in the wind. And then he's just like completely strapped up holding on for dear life. Jay-Z could do what the fuck he want on a jet ski. That's That's what I'm saying. He got to protect the crown jewel. I'm just saying, compared to Beyonce, she has just as much to protect. She still did it in a cool way. That's true. That's true. But he, he, you know, he an OG. He found him a PYT. He did it right. That's a nice way of saying he's very old. Okay. So, (laughs) we'll take a break. about it a little bit let me look i think you're a big fan of that the video i have not watched the oh, video both. i've just seen little snippets of it Wait, on you Instagram. never saw the video no not Til today no i've never seen it till today i've seen like little snippets it's, like, it's intentional i got a lot going on right now i watched it in august just like i listened to drake's album in august um no i want to hear the little kiki song it's very cute everyone's bouncing around to it um, but yeah, I think Apeshit is my fifth favorite and number one, because I am a huge Migos fan and like Beyonce and Migos together, like my heart probably grew one size. Like I think Migos, uh, wrote a lot of it. Apparently there's a reference track going around where, um, Quavo and not, not Offset, the other Takeoff are, uh, doing most of the rapping. And then like, I think one of Beyonce's parts is really would take off rope and she just changed a little bit of the uh, verses to kind of match her more. But a lot of the stuff they're saying is they're typical kind of like, I won't call it necessarily misogynistic because I don't necessarily put them in that category. But like, you know, it's very from a male perspective. That's what they talk about. It's like, but she was, she kept most of those lyrics and it's funny to listen, like to know that a dude wrote it from his perspective and she just like seamlessly just wove it in and didn't even make us question. But another, that, you know. su- another superstar uh, <laughs> signifier. Mm-hmm. Right, when you're able to make something your own and we don't even question like, did you did you really? Like, does this come from your mind? Yeah. Um, so that made me happy. The fact that it was in the Louvre. I've been to the Louvre. It is very white. Uh, I think it went <laughs> from the, like the fact, also, okay, just the fact that it's called ape shit. And this is like a very minuscule thing. I don't even know if it's really a real thing, but I, I consider it a real thing. Just like the typical association of black people with apes. And the fact that they are naming their title song of their joint album, Ape Shit, that, they, that, the, that the song is featuring a black couple that are not like not skirting around referencing, you know, ape shit like people Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. any association with being called the ape is like real iffy with black people and um and the fact that like in the actual video I have seen the little scene where when they when they go to the hook where it's like have you ever seen a crowd going ape shit they have Beyonce going ape shit and like her you know like couture uh, outfit that probably cost 10 grand or something um and I just feel like that's awesome to have like this woman that's probably like 
if you have like a mu- musical Michelle Obama, as far as kind of her, like you said, the kind of being arm's length is usually any, everything she says verbally is very appropriate and not, you know, like, right, yeah. and she's very in, you know, I won't say white adjacent, but like acceptable amongst white people. And mm-hmm. then just kind of like, you know, in that, in that kind of like Whitney Houston crowd where she can yeah. weave back and forth, but she's not afraid to like go ape shit <laughs> and be associated right. with going ape shit. I just thought that was a cool little moment in there. Um, and then, so two of my, I think, favorite lyrics are number one, they, this is just an example of the gems they were dropping throughout there. Like when she says, <laughs> um, put some respect on my check. <laughs> or pay me in equity and watch me reverse out of debt. Skirt. Go off, Beyonce. <laughs> like, I was like, wait a minute. Let me Google that this is the, actually what she said. And let me make sure I know what pay me in equity actually means. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. I agree with that. Yes. Just the fact that you're making us who are just regular folk. There's still some things that we can learn from you. <laughs> Even though your, your level of money and, and success is like, uh, you know, leagues above what, what most of us will uh, realistically get to. But just the idea that, you know, you're just throwing gems out there about getting 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 paid in equity. Because a lot of us work for companies, for instance, like Tesla. So Tesla will pay you in equity, so to speak, after you've vested and you've worked there a few years. And there's a lot of young people who work at Tesla, and if they make it past being injured, you know, because Tesla is real shaky over there. If they, And we're not actually very far from a Tesla little plant over in Lathrop. And then if you go a little farther up to Fremont, there's the actual, the one Tesla plant where they make all the Teslas with physical labor. Um a lot of these people get injured to the point where they're on, they have to get workers comp within like two years. Uh, but people that make it to the point where they're like, I think it's three years in and they actually get like equity or stock in Tesla. Uh, we don't, I don't even think most people know what to do with that. Like at 21, if somebody handed me like however many shares of Tesla stock, I don't think that I would know. (laughs) What Maybe to do now, with that? though, too. Maybe now, because trading has become more popularized in the last 15, 20 years. I remember yeah. when I was starting, well, I don't know how long ago that was. But anyway, in the last 20 years, I noticed a popular like marketing push to make it more like accessible and simple and all these mm-hmm. things. Hey, it's this easy. You could trade with an app. Pop, pop, pop. And I know some younger people, like some 34. So I think 25 and under might be a little more knowledgeable about trading than my generation. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible. When I was telling my mom about it, she said that the average person will probably just sell it immediately. And I kind of, you know, I almost have like a natural inclination to like snap back anytime anybody says anything <laughs> like negative. I'm always just disagreeing with it off the top. <laughs> so I, my natural reaction was like, people got bills to pay. Why are you mad at somebody for cashing in their Tesla stock as soon as they get it? Especially these people, even though Tesla pays fairly well for the, um, you know, the market, you know, mm-hmm. to live in the Bay Area. I think they started like 17 hours, $17 an hour now and they go up from there. But still, to live in Fremont or to live in the South Bay or that or any part of the Bay Area, that little $17 an hour is really not paying your rent. You know, you have to be in a two-person household or be a roommate or whatever for that to be substantial right. to you. So I'm not mad at somebody for cashing in their Tesla stock, 
But I wonder if people that, like younger under or even older sometimes understand the power of holding on to like something like that and keeping it so that you can actually like break yourself free away from debt maybe at, at a certain point. So that, that just the fact that that was like thrown into a, like a rap song. Mm-hmm. I know that the Migos didn't put that in there. So, so the fact that Beyonce <laughs> added that lyric or whoever she works with added that lyric to Maybe like, Jay. And, right, to an otherwise Migos song. I just thought that was awesome. Yeah. I don't want to hear that reference track to be honest. I, I haven't heard it. I'm sure if you Google it, it's probably on a blog or something. You have to look for that Migos reference track. <laughs> and then there's some lyric where they where she says like, uh, all of my people, I free them all. Oh yeah, because it's like in that because she's rapping like the Migos at, at some point, so it's hard to tell what verse. she's saying. Um, but at one point she says, all of my people, I free them all. And that's kind of like a reference that they've made a couple times to the fact that they have, like, for instance, when the Black Lives Matter protests were going on um, and a lot of people were being in Ferguson, were being jailed and everything. Jay-Z and Beyonce behind the scenes, like, donated a ton of money to get people bailed out of jail. And once again, behind the scenes. So I think the only reason we found out is because a lady was being interviewed um, who was one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter group in Missouri at the time, and she was saying that they were able to get like a hundred people bailed out because Beyonce and Jay Z like made some connections and and just sent them the money. Um, Talk too much, girl. <laughs> well, I think she just wanted to give them, you know, like a. But that's the know. thing. Like again, like for, no, sorry, but yeah, no, that's why they do what they do. They don't really want to be seen for it. And there's a, a, a reason, too. Like, if somebody wants to give anonymous, anonymously, shut up. Even if it is Beyonce. That's why you ain't gang. <laughs> Maybe she didn't know that it was anonymous. They might have just done it. No, no, no. Because the fact that who said it to me lets me know she definitely probably wasn't the person who received the communication or was probably involved nah, in it. No, it was a middle person. You know how, because yeah. we know how Beyonce move. It's yeah. very much NDA. So for someone to publicly speak on it, they weren't a part of the NDA gang. I mean, that just means they're able to speak on it, so I'm not mad at that. <laughs> but still, even if you're not in the NDA gang, you gang if you love Beyonce. So shut up if she come through and do something. I'm not mad at her. I feel I feel like she could say not she, because she's she, very Tiffany she's public Haddish about adjacent, the scholarships though. that she put out for those those yeah, young girls. The formation so scholarship. She chooses what she wants. Yeah. So stay in formation. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that's very <laughs> that's very um, specific and particular on their part. Is like to be to be completely honest. I think like like we just said a minute ago, they're very they're like uh, like mysterious. Um, was the word? Nah, we're what about. I was trying to say is they're like abundant they have an abundance of white money and i think you know at the time at the time black lives matter and even now is not considered a good look for people that are trying to get a free flow of white money so i don't necessarily want the people that are sending me these checks so that i can go flip it and buy title because this is pre-title days to know that I'm over here bailing out people that they consider criminals or whatever. So I definitely think that they're, a, the, like, to the point you made where they choose kind of what they want to be known. Like, Jay-Z, he has a scholarship fund as well, and it's just publicly available on his website. I don't know if it still is, but as of, like, five years ago it was. So there are things where they make it readily available to the public, and then there's other things that they're, of course, doing behind the scenes. So I, I agree with you that I think um, it's very particular like it's a reason why I mean I don't think it hurt them honestly I think it helped because 
at the time they were like they were not firmly planted in this whole vibe that they're on now, which is like even though we're extending into the stratosphere as far as our level of superstardom, we're gonna be like the first black people to not disclaim blackness and still extend. Yes. That's a recent development with them, and I think it's not it's not coincidental that it happened after they've kind of broken free a little bit of the chains of white money. I think they're extending to this level where like I'm the the head owner of title and even though it's not Spotify right now, like I'm certain people are bidding for title. He's just they just haven't sent him the right check yet. Right. I'm certain he's gonna flip that when the right <laughs> amount comes around. So like the fact that they're in the in the realm where they're basically a billionaire couple and they're not signed to a contract that requires them, you know, to to not be associated with this or that. I think it's not coincidental that once they've kind of broken free from that, they're getting a little more free with saying um being like readily associated with blackness cuz that is a common thing. Like that's not a secret is that like the Whitney Houstons of the world, even though she kind of like reverted back into being claimed by us when she kind of unfortunately when she got cracked out um, and yeah. she, when you know, Hollywood, we re-embraced her. When Hollywood shoot her up and spit her right, out then, more accurately. Right, and that happens a lot. When when people get run over by the Hollywood bus, then we re-embrace him, which is like, we tried to do that with Kanye. He's not accepting it right now. So, you know, he's <laughs> over there in Calabasas and Wyoming chilling. But that happens all the time. Kanye is a prime example of like when people extend into the stratosphere of fame and where they're getting, I, I would argue that most of the people at a concert, Kanye concert are not black these days. I would probably say like 75% of them are not black. Um, and I'm not saying because black people aren't fans, but I'm saying the people that are shelling out the most money, because that's really, the concerts are the most money that people are taking home these days, mm-hmm. are not black people. And so I think he's definitely ties that like non-black money or white money, however you want to put it. And he's very much breaking away from his you know, he's not, he don't have, he don't really care about preserving a black card or anything like that, if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like a common theme amongst celebrities. Michael Jackson's another example, even though I've heard people say that like, Michael Jackson was very proud of his blackness. And I think that's true, but I didn't necessarily like hear that from him. And I definitely didn't see it because I always associated the whole skin color change, whether that was um, required by medicine or not. I just associated the skin color change, the fact that he was always in a perm, <laughs> you know, like all of that stuff. <laughs> the, like the fact that his music shifted after some point, I just associated that with kind of my idea of that typically when people start, when most of your fans become white, then you kind of disassociate because you don't want to make your fans feel disconnected from you. So you associate more with like broader American or white culture versus um, like identifying as black and making that very clear. So yeah, I think that that's why that was a very intentional choice of theirs to like not let us know what moves they're making behind the scenes all the time. All right, next song. Unless you have something else to say. So about ape shit, yeah. It was very street art meets high art, like literally. Um, so for those who don't know where they shot that, the Louvre is like this super upper echelon elite huge museum you saw how tall the walls was if you see how tall they are standing next to some of those paintings like huge in paris right so here they are all that cousin just described with they black asses and jay-z with his <laughs> nappy hair i love right. that nappy curls um all in the louvre <laughs> right. negroes was all in the basement with regular ass clothes on 
Sis was in there combing her boyfriend hair. <laughs> right, in front of the Mona cover. Lisa. Right, the album cover is awesome. Just being black in the Louvre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was like, and so it kind of reminded me of like Basquiat because some of the best critics of Basquiat described his work that way. He was able to take street art and translate it into quote unquote high art or at least art that could translate beyond the literal street and be considered like universal um, professional art. So that video was that for me. And the fact that, see, and Beyonce is so sick. She does it with, like, fashion. Mm. The Those, like, <laughs> I don't celebrate Easter, but them Easter outfits, them Easter suits that they was in. Oh, did she have, like, a pink one on? I, I can't, I, yes. I the fabric, the color. The cut. And the cut. The cut. The color right It's a demonstration. It it's a demonstration. <laughs> if you know fashion, like... Them standing there and them it's casual like ass. Negro Easter, yeah. Oh, it's just, it was so beautiful against their skin. Like, they, they were like literal art to me in the video, in several scenes. Of yeah, course, Beyonce staying something couture. Right. And Jay Z with all these dope ass suits, with all these new necklines and everything. Like, I see what you're doing, sir. I appreciate it. Teaching these young men to be classy and flashy. Uh, so, yeah, that video, I watched it like every day almost. Except for, I think I stopped watching it for sure every morning about a week ago. I used to wake up, brush my teeth, and come back <laughs> and sit in my room, and I would put that on my laptop like every morning. It's just like get me going, just make me get ready to go ape shit every day. <laughs> to hear it and to see it though, like together, it wasn't enough to listen to it. I had to see the visuals. Yeah. That little black angel in the beginning too, like several references to. Like Cousin said, just holding on to our blackness and the value that people tried to take away from just existing. Like having, it was a little black kid, if you paid attention, with some jeans on. He didn't have a shirt on, he had dreads. Um, typical in many cases of what our black youth look like with angel wings, just sitting, hmm. technically loitering, would have been a loitering right. angel, right. just sitting outside False the Louvre. That type of stuff. So just that imagery, and even if she didn't mean that, that's what it meant for me when I saw it. Like, just to see a black angel out there just chilling. It's just stuff like that. Like, they're so symbolic, and I just appreciate them. I appreciate y'all. I definitely think that, I mean, I I definitely need to watch that video. But I think she meant it because I will say that I wouldn't consider Beyonce to have always been an intentional artist when it comes to her videos. But I would say, like... Uh, beyond the Beyonce album and on, it's absolutely been like levels of intentionality that that mm-hmm. she like. Beyonce started, I think, um, like the fact that it was a visual album. Like, if you're gonna choose to do that, you have to be, or if you're gonna do it well, there needs to be some intention about yes. it. Yes, um, hopefully, shit. Right. And so <laughs> I think that's kind of what started it. And then with Lemonade, it was literally like a piece, an art, a piece of artwork. And she, you could tell it took probably a year to like really, for all the levels, the, the poetry, the scenery, all the props and stuff, the locations they put together, filming it and editing it and making sure everything was right. I know that had to take at least a year to like really just the visual art, like just the visual part of that album. It had to take at least a year to get that all perfected. And, and I, so like post Beyonce album, Beyonce, I definitely think that 
anytime she's involved in a video that's where she's like a primary artist in the in the uh, music, it was mm-hmm. and all the imagery is intentional. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, I think my my next favorite song was Friends. I don't have a lot to say about Friends. It's just a cool bop. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I like the kind of repetitive nature, like Migos adjacent vibe of it, because I I'm a fan of that sound. I f- I love that song so much. <laughs> Jay Z said. Oh right, that's the Kanye shade. Okay. Tight circle. That was, that was a good shade. Oh, there. No squares. Right. Diametric- I'm, ge- I'm diet. No. Geometrically, geometrically opposed to you. And- Next bar. Y'all like to try angles. Right. Almost laid down. <laughs> Almost laid down. I was like, this man. And like, it. It's not that it's necessarily like the most amazing. And I don't know the literal term for that, but this is a person. Yeah. Alliteration. Is that mm-hmm. Like he still uses that and puts it in music. Like he's that's to me why I say he's a hip hop artist versus a rapper. And everybody don't have to always use alliteration, but he's one who is still involved in his craft. There's mm-hmm. intentionality. So right. there's always like you could grow with him. You can listen to his earlier stuff and this stuff and see depth and difference. So development, yeah. Um that was ill. Um also just the shit Beyonce was talking about, like it sounds like my friend's better than your friends, but look at what she said. Why? Because mm-hmm. they always got my back. When something go wrong, they in the back seat with the ox bumping. Like, just basic shit. She ain't talking about flossing or nothing crazy, ain't which no she could. Ball. Right. She's talking about simple. Like, my cousin and me were talking earlier, mm-hmm. like, the type of things, the type of criteria for a true friend. Do they mm-hmm. look out for you? Can you count on them? Are they there for you? Do you feel safe with them? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real... Again, like, because, like, I feel like it's popular now to don't care. And, like, mm-hmm. you hear it, at least I hear it, not all the time, but enough that it's concerning that um, there seems to be anyway. Um, like, people are fake friends. Fake is the new real. I've heard that so much. Like, mm-hmm. fake so fake is so popular now. People don't... If you be real, they think you're being fake. Just confusion around, like, who can you trust? So... Again, like that was another example of the direction where people need to be going. Cause I didn't like hearing all that bullshit. Like <laughs> all these songs, like "Push Me to the Edge," "All My Friends Are Dead." It's just a bleakness and a darkness, you know. And yeah, then like a, a disconnectedness and apathy. Yeah. And it's it's concerning. I, I appreciate art for art, and it's not like I'm worried. But just hearing that type of uh, stuff lately was a little concerning so when friends came plus it got a nice little bop too mm-hmm. and it knock when you turn it up mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh what else about friends oh at the very end of friends if you're patient <laughs> beyonce will give you levels of harmony and then she'll end and i damn near the song is great for me but i wait all the way to the end for that like it's simple and it's real quick but it's it's so clean kind of like in love on top but not to that extent it's a nice little harmonizing on out. It's super clean. I love it. The most intrig- intriguing lyric in that song to me is the kind one of the Kanye uh, uh, or the Kanye I think shade <clears throat> where Jay Z ends by saying basically like oh I ain't if, to nobody nothing if he and his wife are beefing wife he's not beefing. going to anybody's event and even if like. The, the house, house their house was literally on fire. <laughs> if you're, my wife is there, that's where I'm dying. My best friend will take care of my children when he's right. done grieving. He took it and far. And if you don't understand that, then we're not meant to be friends. Oh, and I'm like, 
that sh- that shook me when I first heard it because I was like, wait a minute, let me rewind to make sure I'm still. Are you talking about dying? He's talking about Kanye though. He absolutely was talking because about Kanye. Kanye had like, he didn't go to the wedding. wedding. Yeah, it's a thing. He did an official. He did an interview um, with Charlemagne, and in the interview with Charlemagne, he said he insinuated that that's the real point where he noticed the shift because they didn't go to his wedding. And then he was like, I mean, I, now I know they were going through some stuff, but still, if we're family. And that's he just left it there. And I understand Kanye's point of view is like, I would agree that let's say I have a really close, a close group of friends that I would consider really close, almost like family. And they're a couple. If they, if they were not getting along at the time, I would still expect them to come to my wedding, you know, unless, you know, Kanye has to be realistic, I think, and realize that he's not a normal person. So like, the fact that, first of all, we have to fly to France to go to your wedding, <laughs> even oh. though I think they were overseas at the time anyway, but it's like a production for, for you're having a Calabasas Kardashian Paris yeah. ex- extravaganza. You know, having a reality show, bro. Right, for a and wedding. And that's what it was, a And we're show. not, my wife and I are not on the same page to the point where, like, they li- now we know, like, they literally broke up at one point, and he was chasing his wife around the, <laughs> around the country, basically. Because I think at that time, she was on the Beyonce tour. And so... Um, I think at this time she was overseas, but Jay-Z, who knows where he was, but I think she actually was like in Europe touring uh, at, at some point, you know? So it's not like it's... And they, they have means beyond means, so they could have been there. But I understand basically Kanye's point that if you consider me family and then we're that close, like I expect you to be at my wedding, regardless of whatever little tip or tat you're going through with your wife. But now having more context, post-Lemonade, post-444, post-The Carters... I think I get what he's saying. Um, Particularly, I was listening randomly to a Christian talk radio show one time. (laughs) And the man said something that caused me, and I'm still pondering on to this day. This was like three years ago. He said that he, there's like a common uh, trope that people will be asked, like, if your children, if you were on a ship and um, your children and your spouse fell off at the same time and neither of them could swim, which mm-hmm. one would you save first? Not knowing that the, you know, the next one might die. And his comment was that as a Christian, he would absolutely save his wife first. And there was no question about it that his children know that, that his wife comes first. And I was like, what? <laughs> because, you know, my mind naturally goes toward your children are kind of like the thing that you preserve most because particularly they're minors because like they didn't ask to be here number one (laughs) the typical thing and also they're like more defenseless than an adult so my natural inclination is just like automatically children like I wouldn't even think about it you just understand as 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 the other parent of these kids you want them to survive too right but he was saying that the Christian family is not a family without the the core of it which is the mother and the father together and that if the core is not steady and and it survives, then the rest of the family breaks down and it's not a family. And so he was saying his first prerogative is pres- to preserve the core and that that's not like that's unwavering to him. And that's literally exactly what Jay-Z is saying to the point that he literally mentioned, yeah, I know I have three kids. They'll be taken care of. They'll be all right. But we are the core. We are the nucleus of this thing. And I still don't know how I feel about that. I understand. <laughs> I understand it. But I don't know about its personal application to my life. <laughs> because I just feel like, you know, I don't even have wow. kids yet. But if my kids were drowning in the water, I think it would be instantaneous. They're like, 
husband or not, I feel like I would be going after my children. But I get it. Like, I get it. I just don't have that type of, I think, connection to marriage or, you know, that idea of marriage yet. I don't know if I ever will. But that's kind of where Jay-Z was coming from is like, my wife and I are the nucleus of this legacy we're building, of this life we're living, of our entire family. If I screwed that up and I'm literally trying to get her back, what I look like going to your wedding, family or Without not. Without her. Right. Because she ain't coming. Because she literally left me. that's the other part right. of why, too. Right. Like, why it makes sense. Plus, if I show up, despite that... Uh, parentheses I'm not right. <laughs> I'm gonna show up without my wife right so what's what that look gonna like? look like right Kanye right right and you're embarrassing Beyonce because people are gonna be like why because we literally didn't know they were going through anything at that time like we wouldn't know about my, other than Solange whooping his ass in that elevator we wouldn't know about any of this stuff until they released it on the album that's where we got a hint of like oh something is going on there because I remember going to the first on the run tour and at this time they didn't have 44 they didn't have lemonade all that was out was the Beyonce album that's when she in my opinion rose to superstardom and I remember going to that tour and every review I saw about it from like the people I watch on YouTube said it was phenomenal. It was great. It was a really good experience. But I felt like Beyonce had dead eyes. And I told my mom that, that she's not into it. I don't know what this is about. I've never seen her live, but whenever I see her on like um, concert tapes and stuff, she's like in it. She's like, she's there. She's performing. I felt like she was going through the motions on that tour. And now I know they were like in literal strife. Like, even on the Lemonade album, when she's sitting, there's um the visual album at one point. I forget what song it is, but she's singing basically about the fact that they're not, like, there's there's a disconnection. I think it's, like, at the beginning of mine, um, when she's talking about, like, you know, post-baby. We're not, mm. you don't, like, really see me. You don't see it for me anymore or whatever. No sleep in the kingdom. Right. And there's, like, a... um there's a visual of her in a stadium, which is what the tour was in. And she's sitting in the stadium by herself, completely alone, like in the, at the bottom of the field. And to me, I was like, I get like I, the dead eyes, like it makes sense to me now because I was like, they were not like, that's crazy to me. I would never be able to do that is if I'm like literally on the brink of divorce and I care so much about like my career, the commitment I've made, you could people that are like less, you know, uh, uh, grateful about Beyonce might consider you know, this is a money thing or whatever. Whatever, you know. Maybe she cared about her coin too. Above all this petty I mean, shit, they're be going serious. Through. That's always a consideration if you for anybody. If you logical, right. for sure. business about, decisions, right? About how much one of her shows? Thank you, right? That she takes home right. too. On like, the album, they said they make eighty thousand a show now when they do stadium shows. They could make a lot more if they amp down on the production. But like, I think with all the you know the balancing out, so. All of that stuff, if you want to throw in the money, all of that stuff, reputation, career, all that stuff. The fact that they did a joint tour together when they were in strife. Because on the run two, I mean, on the run one, it was very clear to me that I didn't necessarily see that something was wrong with them. But I noticed two things. I noticed that she had dead eyes and that she was, to me, it seemed like she was just going through the motions, even though I had a good time at the show. And that seemed weird to me because from what I saw on TV, it wasn't like that before. The second thing I noticed was that all of their intimacy during that concert was like pre pre-planned and choreographed because I kept seeing um, little snippets on like Instagram 
And the all of the times where they were physically touching during the concert were literally the same. Like they happened at the same on the same song at the same time in the same moment in the same way on every tour date. Oh wow! And like they would literally meet during this one song. She would do like a little a little bop. She would do a little smirk at him, and then she would walk away. And that was like the extent of them being within the I bet same. She loved to walk away from right. every performance. Right. She turned on a motherfucking dime. Right. <laughs> Right, (laughs) right, and that was the extent of their intimacy or their closeness. Other than at the beginning, they came up out of the stage together and they just stood next to each other and posed. That was it. Like it was never changed, concert by concert. And I was like, that's weird to me because I feel like if you're performing with your spouse, you're naturally gonna improvise sometimes because you guys are gonna be like on a different vibe every night you know depending on what's just happened behind stage or what happened the day before or whatever your plans are whatever so it was interesting to me that it was a choreographed intimacy and then I matched that with the dead eyes and I was like something's off here but I didn't you know I'm not one to really if I have a super fave which Beyonce is one of my super faves I'm not about to be creating whole backstories about whatever's going on in their life so I just kind of let it go but um but it all makes sense to me now so like particularly in that context if uh they were that disconnected where she literally like had moved out What I'm like embarrassing her by even showing up because I'm acknowledging to the public that there's some rift between us. So like, right. there's different levels like why he wouldn't come. Yeah, it was tripping. I think that was his arrogant, self-important part. Just because you know he does that. As Gemini's, we do that, and, oh, and we try. We try to not do it. At least some, I do. Some of y'all try it. Cause Kanye, like, bro, you chill. <laughs> and even if you felt that way, like, why would you say that on the air? Again, just arrogant. That's the thing about him, which is interesting to me, and I think it's actually common amongst celebrities, interestingly enough, is like Kanye, one thing I noticed in that um, Charlemagne interview is he's always in his feelings, which is fine. Some of us are always in our feelings. But he never, he doesn't know how to address conflict in an appropriate way. And by appropriate, I mean... You know personally that you want to like squash the issue, dead the issue, resolve right. it, but you don't take any steps to resolve it. Right. You just stew on the shit until a stew sh- and spew because right. he's on the air spewing. Right. But you don't spew it to some, the person right. that you're you doing something with. constructive with the person. But you're bitching to them that you're family <laughs> and they need to do blah 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 because you're family. But if we family, then you need to come to me and tell me if we have a disconnection and like let's try to resolve it. That'd be like you going on another podcast talking about me. Yeah. yeah. In depth <laughs> at that. Telling specific stories about this motherfucking ain't shit or whatever. Like, I'm like and I never said anything to you about like she ain't got my number. <laughs> right, right. What the hell? And then I come look at and I I come look at you the next day and I expect you to be all right with it. Like, kind or I expect tripping. you to call me that's, after that. <laughs> and that's no. why that's that self important kind. That's literally how he's operating. And then like, uh, Charlemagne kept saying like, don't you think you guys are resolving? Can't you call him? And his response kept kept being because it happened with like three people. He kept saying, oh, he has an issue with this person, that person. And then Charlemagne kept asking him about the resolution and he was like we'll talk we'll talk <laughs> it's been years it's like your third one you have three kids now how long is it gonna take for you to have a conversation with a man about what it meant to you that he didn't come to your wedding and all this other stuff the stuff with title which i forgot that he like separated himself from title i completely forgot about yeah. that yeah apparently kanye like backed out of the title deal which in yeah. my opinion that probably happened 
despite of the contract and Jay-Z just made it like a family decision not to sue him about it. Because I'm like certain that they had an official contract on Kanye West becoming a, a title. Because right. the whole thing about title was they weren't just artists on title. They were business partners on title. Like all the celebrities like Nicki, all of them are are business partners in title. So I know for a fact that they had to have had contracts. Uh, so the fact that Kanye like pulled out of title, I know that was a breach of contract. And I know that any other situation, like the whole Wayne and baby thing, like they're right. in an actual lawsuit about that because people's money is messed up. And I, I think it's interesting that Jay-Z like made a decision not to sue him about it or, and vice versa, but, but well, still. I think it's resolved. I don't think he necessarily won, but they like came to a settlement mm -hmm. where after years of running around, oh, baby, that just still means Wayne won though. Cause baby didn't want to do nothing. He wanted to keep everything the same. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Semantics, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's getting his—he's getting his money. That's the most important part, and he's gonna be able to put his music out because he hasn't made like substantial music in a long time. But yeah, I feel like we're all the way off topic. Uh, That's consistent with Jay. He's solid. Oh, sure. I, I mean, would, I, would I don't know what happened that. with him and Dame, and I have. If I had more time, I would go back and research all the stuff that happened with them. Because, you know, now that Dame is back up in the media with the whole Lee Daniels thing, and I saw some interview snippet from him on Instagram where he was saying that he always is the person to bring opportunities to people, and then he always has those people, like, turn around and cut him off from the opportunity and disassociate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. just I just want to see the facts on this. Like, give me... I don't... You know, I was too young to know what happened with he and Jay-Z. I just know it didn't end well, and they still don't mess with each other to this day. And I know that Jay-Z has, like, ascended into <laughs> success, and, and Dame Dash is still, like, much more successful than the average person as far as, like, his income and still being able to start new businesses and kind of stay afloat, but he's not where he was in the Rockefeller days, monetarily. So, I wonder about that, like, what happened with him? Because it's not... It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to me to think that Jay-Z has some shady business practices or that even if they're not that way now, that he maybe had some once upon a time. Um, but but I just don't have the, the energy to research that right now. But it's interesting. I think Dame was just too immature. Yeah, it's quite Jay-Z was pretty immature back then too. Though. Right, but was like the thing was ago. that Jay-Z consistently matured. I think sure. that there's a meme too that kind of says it's a video. Like this is the exact moment when Jay-Z <laughs> knew he outgrew Damon Dash. <laughs> I saw oh, that. Yeah, I don't remember what the moment. Like, I don't remember the moment, but I saw it. I swear, like, and I'm a lifelong Jay-Z fan. I believe that is the truth. You can it's look at Dame awesome. right now. Dame is, and it's no disrespect, because that's his lifestyle. That's what he chose. Dame is that type of Harlem. Is he from Harlem? I don't know. He sounds like he's from New York. I don't know what I Harlem. forget. I believe it is Harlem. Damn, I can't remember. But... Harlem Harlem cats is just like that. Like they flashy, they more more like out there. Jay-Z from Brooklyn. Brooklyn is more like silent moves. And I might be wrong from where Dame is from, but he's from um an area in New York where it's more typified by that type of lifestyle. So Jay-Z, even when he came out, look at his Rockefeller album. Look at the album cover, everything he was promoting, like the silent. OG, quote-unquote, gangster. Not that that's good, but at least it was, like, silent, low-key, be official type stuff. Like, meanwhile, Dame is 
throwing bottles and standing on tables and he doesn't yeah he doesn't do that anymore i'm just saying around probably, that time they you could see that they more, were outpacing or jay-z was uh-huh. outpacing him they would probably be more, much more compatible right now i think now yeah because now dame got some gray hair they seem like they're even when i see page. him and i hear him now he sounds more mature he's never been unintelligent but i think yeah. it was a I mean, matter of maturity 50, i would hope so yeah so but yeah, we are kind of way off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, my next favorite song, which I have no comments about, is "Nice," um, which is that I can do anything. That that song. Yeah, that's my favorite part too. Just that reassurance, that affirmation. It's cute for kids. I mean, there's, there's cursing right after, which Kelly Rowland posted a video of like, Auntie Auntie B, look what you did, <laughs> and it was like her son, and she was like, "Sing the song, babe," and then he started singing it, and he said all the curse words, and she was like, so, "Thanks nice. a lot, Jesus right? Christ." <laughs> God damn right. <laughs> that was funny. Though. Oh hell no! That's what they because they, they it's part of the the hook. Right. He started saying hell no. It's funny. Like uh, it. My nephew loves it too. Shout out to my nephew. He put me up on that song. <laughs> um, my next favorite song is Boss. Uh, I would say that my favorite lyric in there is, um, she has a lyric about like if you, if people know who Sarah Bartman is. Um, so Sarah Bartman, um, was around in like slavery days and basically she had like really enormous hips and a like derriere Mm. and, um, you know, back then white people were very, uh, literal in their, um, what do you call it? Um, like monetizing us. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, she basically got taken around on like a freak show tour. Uh, where they would have her be like naked and then people could pay to just come like look at her body form. Uh, and I think at some point she like she died like in her 40s or something. Um, I forgot how. But she's just kind of has a history, unfortunately, of being known as um, somebody that was like gawked at by white people for money. Um, and so Beyonce has a line um, in in the song about um, she, she says like stunt. She's talking to other black girls, like, stunt with your curls, your lips. You know, the fact that, you know, your curls are popping, your lips are probably fuller, mm-hmm. and your Sarah Bartman hips. And then she says, like, I got to hop into my jeans like I hop into my whip. And I was like, I feel that line. So <laughs> that line, just like the little gem of the historical reference. Um, wow. And, like, being proud of the things that make you black. Um, even though, like, I've heard people say that, like, Beyonce's built like a white girl. And I think it's just because she doesn't have, like, super pronounced, as, like, super pronounced and stereotypical figure of a black girl. Beyonce is thick as hell. When she wants life. to be. When she wants to be, right. Like, post-baby, she's definitely full. It's interesting. Before baby, too, she just got, like, she tall, but she thick. She Y'all, y'all don't know, like, sorry, no disrespect, but she, she one of them thick <laughs> red bones. <laughs> Y'all know them tall, thick She's red She's gone bones. back and forth. I was like, <laughs> definitely pre, I would say like, like pre B-Day, she, it, to me, it looked like, and also all the way through Destiny's oh, Child. B-Day. She was a child, yeah. She's in her 20s. She's like, a child. She's only in her 30s now. She's not a woman now. Yeah, she's a woman. She's you been a woman. child to, to later. Nah, she's been woman. a woman. She's been a woman. She was teaching Jay-Z some things in her 20s. Okay, so I feel like that Beyonce part. has chosen to be slim. She's talked about it in some of her documentaries, like behind the scenes footage about how like she was pressured to be you know skinny or whatever for a long time. Mm. And how she... Like, she, she made a... Um, there was like a bootylicious behind the scenes interview and she said that 
she made it because she just was sick of being like feeling shamed about being like having more butt than the girls around her right. or the girls in the group because everybody else in the group was smaller than her at that point. And she said she just wanted to make a song about it. And at the time, she was irritated because it got so big and she was sick of singing about this jelly or whatever but she when she said that she was fine with like still singing it because at the time she made it it was like her way to kind of push back against she's like i'm just gonna embrace my curves and i think like that era of destiny's child is when she started to embrace being a curvier girl and i'm still saying like curvy compared to the women in her entertainment in her industry because mm-hmm. i would say that like if beyonce was walking down the street in in Knowing how the average woman is built in today's society, she would not be. She's still considered skinny by a lot of people. Like the average, like four, size fourteen woman or whatever, Beyonce is considered skinny to that girl. But I'm saying, like in her industry, amongst her peers, she is a very curvy woman. And like I would say, like around that time, like the bootylicious era and beyond, she definitely embraced that. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to me that like her weight has fluctuated a lot since she's being pregnant or not being pregnant and all that stuff. And even the fact that she's like gotten pregnant and had miscarriages i'm sure some of that like caused her weight to fluctuate over time which we haven't even known a lot about but she talked about it in like the lemonade documentary or something that she's had like a gang of miscarriages and i think jay-z mentioned it on 444 um so it's just interesting to me that you know she's she's kind of like constantly it seems like going through that kind of journey where she's like embracing her body as it changes over time so i just like that part Mm -hmm. And she's still thick. <laughs> um, what was the last song? Oh, Heard About Us has become a recent favorite of mine. And it has caused me to develop a theory that I think that Beyonce busted the windows in the car of whatever girl that Jay-Z cheated with. Because in Lemonade, you know, there's that scene where she's in the yellow dress walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And she randomly takes that Louis Slugger. And it's in Louis Slugger is mentioned in the song, but she like busts car windows in the song, like gleefully. She's bursting yes. car windows. Yes. And then again in um in in uh, Heard About Us, she says something about um they don't want like why these bitches so mad for they don't want y'all saying on their door, Louis Slugger to your four Louis Slugger to your four door, careful you get what you ask for. And I was like I feel like this is redundant a little bit, and I don't know why you would keep mentioning this unless it actually happened. <laughs> because it's like a really weird little petty thing for like a grown ass mama of three to keep mentioning if it didn't actually happen. And I've and and then also in um, Love Happy where she mentions um, you lucky I didn't kill you when I met that bitch that night, which is like they cut off the lyric, but that's kind of what they're about to say mm-hmm. or what she's about to say. And I'm like, oh, if you had like an actual interaction where you saw the woman that you knew your husband was cheating with like right in front of your face and you to the point where you were so angry you wanted to physically harm your husband i'm like i could see you busting some windows out of somebody's car now it might have been to his car one of his cars but i feel like it was the woman's car and that's I just thought my she theory. said he, he lucky she didn't kill that bee no she said you lucky i didn't kill you when i met that and then it cuts oh, off okay. and he's like chill 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 because yeah. i was thinking her teeth confetti that stuff too, yeah. Do you remember that part? Yeah, that was like eliminate. one of my favorite part. Her sternum, my cane, like girl. That was written by uh, Warshaw, whatever her name is, that woman. But yeah, the fact that she chose to put it in there. Yes, around like, that that's whole... real mood. Like if you ever touch what's mine, <laughs> bitch, your teeth will be confetti and your sternum will be my cane. Well, yeah, <laughs> sure, but I think <laughs> I just love it because I'm a poet. I think I think 
And I haven't watched Lemon. I only watched. I hate rewatching things. It's like a thing of mine, unfortunately. I watch um, things several times over and over. Most people do. I I watch something <laughs> once and I move on, uh, unless I'm like obsessed. I would say like Martin, the show Martin, which is my favorite show, is the one exception of thing, something that I will watch anytime a million times. But. I don't watch most things over and over. So I watched Lemonade only maybe once or twice, but I rem- but I remember that part. And I think kind of the poem, I think it has an element definitely in what you were saying about the like the literal thing about like, I'll hurt you if you, if you cross this line. Yeah. But I, I think it was also like a vulnerable side of it where it was like, if you want me to be this woman, if you if you if this woman is so important to you that you're willing to break our bond, then I can just make myself her. I can just kill her and like wear her skin, yes. and I can make a cane out of her body, or like, which is like very. It's very <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe macabre, yeah, right. but it was so apropos right. mm-hmm. for the circumstance. That's mm-hmm. why I loved it, especially coming from her, the way she said it. Like, side note, I would love to have just the audio of all of the spoken portions from that album. Somebody yeah. get on it. I'm sure it exists. If you could probably look it up on YouTube, I'm sure it exists. I need that. Last song that was that was my favorite or my most favorite song was Black Effect. Me too, my number one favorite. Everybody's number one. Absolutely. So my favorite references are um, the part where she's like, "Pull up like the Freedom Riders on Rodale," and if you don't know what Freedom Riders are, like they were just or Rodale because some people. I mean, Rodale's a fancy street in Beverly Hills. Which I started to think, maybe her lawyer's on Rodeo Drive. <laughs> because, because she's talking about the Freedom Riders thing. And Freedom Riders literally were like traveling by bus. It was a group of black people in the civil rights era. Maybe there were some white allies. I don't know. But mostly black people in the civil rights era. They were traveling through the most like Jim Crow affected parts of the South. And choosing to rebel against the Jim Crow laws. So like they would go, they would go basically protest by going to go sit at... Um, lunch counters where they weren't technically allowed or legally allowed to be stuff like that like they would just actively protest going town to town most of the time they would get arrested like the NAACP would bail them out and they would get back on the bus and go somewhere and it was like a form of protest um and so I thought that was interesting that she said that and I thought maybe there's some type of connection to the whole like behind the scenes stuff that they're doing um even the stuff with Meek Mill like that was behind the scenes but Jay-Z did mention it briefly but again, like Meek is the person that talked about it the most. Meek said in an interview that Jay Z paid for most of his legal bills when he was uh, appealing his uh, all this. Stuff. Basically, how he got out of jail is because um, he was appealing all these different uh, rulings made by this judge that people are saying is corrupt. Um, and I think he's still dealing with that. But he said that he could have paid his legal bills, and he didn't go a ton into it. But I, I some surmise that he ain't got that kind of money where he could just pay all those legal bills and then walk out without it hurting his his pockets. Like, I feel like he wouldn't be as comfortable right. coming out of prison as he is right now if he had to pay all that stuff out of pocket. Not that he would be dead broke, but he would be, like, hustling to, you know, just maybe yeah. putting out anything to just try to recoup He's that money. He's become accustomed to a lifestyle. <laughs> and he, I'm sure he's supporting, like, five, ten families, you know, right. off of the money he makes. Yeah. So, especially if you're going to prison and you're not making almost any income, but you're still having to cut checks to all these people, the right. little Dream Chaser crew. And then you got to pay these legal bills on top. Like, if he would have come out having to pay all that out of pocket, he probably would have had to immediately get back to just releasing, recording and releasing immediately. And I think it kind of allowed him the leverage to do what he did, which is come out, kind of fill the scene for a few weeks, go out and talk to some legislators, go, you know, make 
figure out what kind of music he wants to make because I think he has an EP out now mm-hmm. versus just releasing, you know, and recording anything just so he can kind of try to recoup recoup that money. So, and then Jay-Z does say in the album that um, when I say free the dogs, I free him. That's how Meek got his freedom. And what he's talking about is because he was cutting like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of checks for Meek's legal bills. And while he, he was, was helping to promote the free Meek movement. Yeah, yeah. Beyonce too, yeah. Beyonce as well mm-hmm. on several occasions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Free meek. Yeah. And I think I like how they, Beyonce has a little line about in a glass house still throwing stones. Because I'm just like, how funny. Like, you're, at least you're acknowledging, like, we haven't completely ascended. We still got a lot of work to do. But that ain't going to prevent me from calling you, you hoes out when I need to occasionally. Like, y'all not about to just keep talking about me like, like I'm not who I am. I'm still gonna throw stones, <laughs> even though you can you throw them back. Some really good notes. <laughs> uh, and then like the little Pharaoh line, which everybody, all the hoteps, I think probably love, which is I'll I'll never let you shoot the nose off my Pharaoh, which has like a weird historical, um, kind of like muddied historical context. But I think the easiest thing to probably interpret it as is kind of what we said earlier about still maintaining their black identity or their connection to blackness despite how how high they go like they're not going to be let their blackness be washed away by all Mm -hmm. the stuff going on around them and the fact that she was saying that she's gonna I'm assuming she's the Pharaoh reference was about Jay-Z and it was interesting to me that she took like an ownership role of it almost like she's gonna protect her husband's image or kind of like his impact or uh, status in the world like despite you know all of these things and people coming after him. Like apparently he has all these problems with all these government agencies. He mentioned that a couple of times about the alphabet boys alphabet coming boys. after him. <laughs> so he talked about like the FBI, the IRS and people C- suing C- him and all this other stuff. And he said that it started to happen after he made the documentary about, um, Khalif Browder. And he said that he's, well, he's currently filming cause he has a production company, a film production company. And they're currently filming, um, a documentary about the Trayvon Martin story. And, uh, he said that basically since he released that documentary, cause the Khalif Browder story, if you're familiar with it, uh, most of his story is about the deplorable nature of the criminal justice system, particularly in New York city. Um, and I, guess what he's saying is that the fact that he was shedding because a lot of people have made stories or written articles about Khalif Browder but I think when he did it 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 brought it to an even wider audience Mm -hmm. and I think what he was saying was the fact that he was like shining a brighter light on on like the government's failure that that caused him to get a brighter light shine on him and people are paying more attention now I'm like oh let's haul you into court about this did you file your taxes correctly let's you know like all that kind of stuff like which happens has happened historically like when black people start speaking out more like Muhammad Ali is an example of um the more of a light you have on yourself like he says a line about oh you're trying to uh show me you're trying to remind me I'm black huh trying to remind me I'm black again I'm too arrogant all this shit talking I'm doing is too arrogant for you is like he's basically saying that kind of the typical thing is happening to him where he's having a bigger voice and trying to empower black people more on all these different fronts and educate people of color more and the government has responded by hauling him into court over all these various things. He didn't go into detail about what they all are, but he mentioned the FBI, the IRS, and he made some reference to 
you guys are really late because when I was drug trafficking, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> bring me into court then. But now that I'm a businessman <laughs> trying to do things the right way, here you go. Which I thought was, I got a cat. topic of the episode is apologies or like how to apologize. I um, have always been interested in the fact that I, in my, I think in, a, in my opinion, a lot of people don't know how to apologize or they don't understand when their apologies are ineffective or why they're ineffective. And I just, I thought it would be interesting to kind of hear your perspective on that. So my first point uh, is the thing I hate the most about apologies is the if I apology and why it is not good enough. So for an example, if you and I get into an argument and after I get out of my feelings or while I'm still mid feelings, which is probably usually when it happens, I come and tell you, well, look, if I made you feel bad, if I got on your nerves, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. And people feel like that's an appropriate apology and it should be enough to spark your forgiveness and then we move on from that. And I'm here to argue that that is a shit apology. It is not <laughs> enough. It is not good enough. And you should learn how to apologize if that's ever come across your lips before. So, like, on that first point, I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, I think the first thing about that is that when you start out with the if, you don't give respect to the other person's reality um, because one thing I've heard a lot more recently because I'm moving in a lot of more um, different circles is that uh, perception is reality. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you feel like you intentionally or unintentionally did something to someone, if they have a feeling or belief, it doesn't have to be true, remember, they're going to be affected by that feeling or belief. Now, it doesn't, for me, mean that you have to, in every case, acknowledge, you know, imagined slights. But you know when you do things, you know, that are, or at least could be interpreted, you know, various ways. So for me, I, I, I use that as the criteria. Like, so I'll try to figure it out that way. Is this kind of like, are they trying to be condescending and downplay what I'm telling you is real for me or is it kind of like the other thing unintentional like because I think some people genuinely I think it's almost like a colloquialism like it's just a thing people develop yeah the whole if if they just thing. say if I blah, blah blah and I people just hear it and they repeat it and it's like their way of apologizing. It's not even that they're... There are some petty people that are intentionally... Or like some super smart people that are trying to weasel their way out of an apology. And they know that to them, they know they're qualifying it. So they're getting out of it. Right. So they're just giving it to you, but they know personally. They don't really mean it. There's those people. But then there's also people who are just like genuinely apologetic. But for whatever reason, they just use that term. 
And if you ever use that with me, you know, <laughs> you, you know, I'm just, it's just my nature. I've literally been trained. And then also just as a Libra, like I listen to what people say, uh, really intently. So, and it frustrates a lot of people around me because literally every word you're saying, I'm listening to. So I will catch if I, and everything else you say <laughs> after that girl, I'm just waiting for you to finish so I can just lay into your ass because I <laughs> I really hate that and I and like I get what you're saying about if you're not intentionally you made the comment about like if it's um an intentional slight or, or no you you said if it's a perceived slight yeah. um oh, whether or not person. it's true if yeah. it's objectively true but for me I guess to in my opinion so how somebody feels is an objective truth so whether now what whether what you said was an intentional slight that's uh, obje- uh that's objective and subjective more subjective though because you know if you're in tune enough with yourself if you really meant to hurt somebody or slight somebody right. when you said something but regardless of what you felt or what you meant to do how they feel right now is objectively how they like it is the truth it's right. how they feel so when you say like. I guess how I approach it is if I really want to preserve a relationship with a person, I know that usually like really right away. Uh, Even if I really am in my feelings within 48 hours, I know if I really want to preserve this relationship. And so that's kind of my barometer for where I decide how I'm going to approach resolving the issue or if I want to resolve it at all. So if you really want to preserve a relationship, it doesn't really... Now, you, it does matter if you really meant something because sometimes that can resolve some other issues is you can explain to somebody, I didn't mean mm-hmm. whatever you interpreted or I, you know, you can ask somebody like, how did I make you feel? Or most of the time, you know how you made somebody feel because you saw how that re- they reacted. So yeah. the way to kind of acknowledge to me that you didn't mean to do something or to kind of address that is a separate thing. But you have to start by saying whether or not you apologize because you're apologizing mm-hmm. for the way that somebody feels. It's just acknowledging, I don't want you to feel that way. I don't intend for you to feel this way. I want to make this right. It's not about what you said or did. That's a separate issue for me. Mm-hmm. So an example is, mm. let's say I didn't mean to get you angry. I didn't, I made an observation or a comment about how I feel like maybe you half-ass things, but my intention is to try to motivate you or just to help you see that maybe you have more potential than what you're giving. But most people being told they're half-assing are (laughs) going to interpret that as a slight. It doesn't matter if you're trying to motivate me. You just call me a half-ass individual. (laughs) Like, so I'm in my feelings about that. Most people are going to be. So then if you say, well, if if I hurt your feelings by that, then I'm sorry. You know you hurt my feelings because you just saw how I reacted. I just snapped on you for calling me a half So So it's like you should approach that situation by saying, like, I didn't mean to blah, blah, blah. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to say that you're incapable or that you don't give a crap about anything that you're doing. I was just trying to maybe motivate you, help you understand that I think it's different ways you can do something. So I'm sorry for making you feel that way. Or I'm sorry that you feel that way. I would I would add making because I think it's it shows that you're trying to recoup. But if you're really <laughs> with the semantics, you can say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Uh, or I'm sorry how that made you feel. Because it did make them feel that way, whether it was your intention or not. You can say, I'm sorry how that made you feel. And you could say, 
secondarily, I didn't mean to blah, blah, blah. This is what I meant by it when I said it. Mm-hmm. And you can open up a conversation. But the in, I think the focus of your apology should not be you. Because when you start talking about... Now, this is why I say whether you really want to mend the relationship or make resolutions, sometimes you don't care. Yeah. And you know, whether it's the person that's not that important to you or you're just sick of them being so petty and always getting offended by things or being so sensitive or whether you really feel like even though what you said was harsh, it, it was needed, sometimes that's some reality too. Sometimes you don't want to make amends, whether it's as a whole, bring the relationship back together, or you just don't care about that specific fight and make it amends about that. A lot of people do that. They just give each other some time and they come back together and never acknowledge the stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's healthy, but sometimes it's useful. So uh, I feel like if you really care about resolving the issue or repatching the, the friendship or relationship, if it was that big of an argument, you have to separate your intention from how they feel because those two things are are separate Mm -hmm. like so when people start off by the if i's or all this other stuff i think you're making yourself the primary the the concern because it's about it's still about like the 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 friend song like ain't no pride involved you still got your pride on your chest or your chip on your shoulder telling me about what you did or didn't mean to do and how what i interpreted was wrong or whatever but that's a secondary issue. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's helpful to talk about because it helps people have an understanding of one another. Of Like me, sometimes I can just be a harsh individual in how I talk to people or what I say. Sometimes by choice, sometimes unintentional. But I have uh, benefited from having conversations about the whole intentionality section separately with my friends because it helps them in the future understand mm-hmm. that sometimes if I come a wrong way, it's not intentional because it really does mean something a lot of times if you're i think a mature person it means something if somebody if you know somebody meant to hurt you when they said something yeah and especially somebody who you count as a friend right or family or a loved one or a partner or whatever like that means something and for me you know i stay in my feelings i just don't show it all the time (laughs) (laughs) so like for me i have learned and trained myself to get myself out of my feelings in most situations so i have never been a person to need an apology i literally don't care if you say you're sorry or not i mean it's sometimes it's it's nice to know that you cared if i really feel like it's a genuine apology it's like oh that's cool this person actually cared to make up but i don't need it i need you to show, acknowledge that what you did was that's why for me it's very important for you to say you did blah 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 or whatever or mm-hmm. you know maybe this thing came out the wrong way or whatever i just need acknowledgement because i don't really like feeling played and i feel like when you reapproach a situation and you don't acknowledge your your part of it mm-hmm. you're trying to play my intelligence or play you know <laughs> play my feelings whatever so I feel like I have to like that's why I feel like I have to go at people when they when they come to me with the if eyes or whatever. But I feel like I've rambled on long enough. I'd love to hear your input. <laughs> yeah. Um t- I don't know too, because I, I generally think that uh the people who I call my friends don't mean to hurt me when I'm hurt by my friends. So um I kind of approach it probably different. From most people, because again, I just really believe that most people out here have these fake friends, and they do the fake situationships, like even be in so-called relationships with people that they don't really love and care about. Like, mm-hmm. so not judging, but just the fact that I tend to only deal with small circles, no squares, like 
family mm-hmm. and very close people. No geometric um, opposition. I, that's probably why I answered the way I answered. Uh-huh. I'm looking for that angle of understanding from the gate. But mm-hmm. making it more probably a general, like let's say random people or looser relationships. Like work relationships work. happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. That's probably, I'll take it from there. So with that, yeah, there's less background. There's less um, history context, yeah. and context. So you, you should <clears throat> at least be willing to... Um, Figure out the differences and the dissonance between yourself and your coworkers. Because mm-hmm. most people, you spend more time in your job space than you do at home. So mm-hmm. it just makes sense from that perspective to me. It always has to the extent that it's possible to try and find common ground with people. Um, in a work situation or school situation... It's kind of easier, too, because the people who you don't vibe with, you can kind of, like, cut yourself off to an extent. But maybe try and have something for those instances when you do have to come up (laughs) into interaction with them. But um, I tend to generally be genuine. And if I don't like you, I'm not going to, like, be mean or disrespect you. I'm just going to be professional and then leave from you. Mm Um. Usually if I have issues with people, it's them doing stuff, <laughs> like saying something wrong or whatever, and then I'll have to maybe talk with them to figure out where they were coming from because I could be perceiving something wrong. I had a very interesting job at the end of last year that several instances came up of what I perceived to be misunderstandings. And even at this point, more or less, I believe that's what they were, but many of them were like race-based miscommunications like I was called boy several times after I told this woman not to call me boy I had to explain to her why it was offensive and after that she didn't (laughs) but that's just one where she really was like an ignorant person and I don't mean that disrespectfully because she's a certain age and from a certain background where I could totally see her being a person who was raised to say like that's okay so just things like that where I could have flew off the handle and said all kind of stuff, but um, I just, it didn't fit because the way she presented herself before was more like kind of like a quirky, weird kind of quirky. So it was kind of like, wow, where did that come from? But I did, I engaged and I was like, I asked her not to. She said it a couple more times. The third time I had to like take her aside with one of our managers and just describe like for like, took like five minutes. to talk about why that's inappropriate. And furthermore, this is a courtesy, me explaining this to you, because as a human being, if I tell you to call me my name and that's it, that's what you're allowed to call me. And after that too, she got the point too, because I can be very direct and make you feel either comfortable or uncomfortable. And it was my intention to make her, um, to have a respectful uncomfortableness around me, like, cause she was playing too much. So I had to let her, you know, tighten that rope real quick like you from here forward you can only either call me Ahmad or sir and I kept it like that so see cultural competency issues are a perfect example of that type of stuff because like for for instance if she would have approached you with the if I offended you by calling you boy I you know I apologize would you would that have, have, oh. that have irritated you oh so that's what I'm saying yeah 
Now yeah. she might have genuinely meant because once again, oh, okay. if she's so, getting caught up in the ego about I don't like I'm not a racist person, and people immediately feel that way. I'm not racist, and they get all and they make it all about them. They're mm-hmm. so offended that somebody would call them or insinuate racism in them that they get all wound up in that and defending the fact that they're not racist, which right. is fair to an extent also because. You can be called to task for that or called to the carpet for that, especially in an employment context. So that makes sense to me that you would be offended. But again, it's about acknowledging the relevance to the individual and how they have genuine feelings about it. It's not about prioritizing what you meant. You can explain. I think it's appropriate for her to explain. It's like, you know, I just say that. You know, I say that to everybody. It's not that I meant that. But now that you've explained it to me, I understand. I think that would be an appropriate apology. Mm -hmm. And I apologize because I didn't mean to offend you. But the other, you know, just the incompetent individuals will just give you the if I... Or I didn't mean this. I, you know, I didn't mean I didn't mean any offense by it. A lot of times, people won't even apologize. They'll just tell you what they didn't mean. So that's the specific question I, I didn't really understand yeah. about that type of apology. Because them if apologies, I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. They tend to be purposefully dismissive. A lot of times, yeah. Tend, at least in my experience, when I've like heard it or it's come across, and again, it's usually in those loose relationships, like other people's friends that at a function that I was at or. A job person or somebody just trying to be shady coming up in <laughs> high school. <laughs> well, I didn't really, you know, if, you know, that kind of phony minimizing, um, and that's usually to me anyway. I, I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm fairly perceptive. I can usually tell if somebody is trying to be disrespectful or mm-hmm. diminish what I'm saying to be valid. And in that case, yeah, it will get a negative response, and it's kind of like you. Like it depends on where I want that relationship to go. Mm-hmm. I might just turn around and not say nothing, or I might tell you everything I've been wanting to say for the last five years, then turn around. Not five years. It could be anything. You never know. (laughs) Told you, I'm a Gemini. Oh, Lord. Help us all. (laughs) Which I saw, funny enough. (laughs) (laughs) What's your sign? Oh, God. Why are they everywhere? Well, I think, I'm not like, I don't follow it, but May 30th. I think you that is are. Gemini. Yeah. Yeah, you're two days after my Jesus brother. Jesus Christ, they're everywhere. Okay, so, <laughs> so you are like, now I'm sure in your personal relationships, you are a son of a bastard. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm sure if I talk to your girlfriend, we'd <laughs> be some commiseration. <laughs> but you are very cool. But this is the same with you. Like, and when people really, really, really get to know you, that's when you can really see the Gemini. It's not necessarily like on the hour. A lot of times, Geminis are that very charismatic so and approachable. You're gonna have to tell me what that means later. later. I want to know yeah. what you mean by that later. But I was gonna say is I was reading. Yeah, you know, my mom. She you know she calls herself being booed up or whatever. So she, she, don't don't let's not go there. I, I'll rant. But okay, so she, she's a Libra as well. You know that's my goal is to have a Libra baby because I appreciate Libras. Um, <laughs> my mother Libra had me the Libra, and um, she. Yes, I will. <laughs> Do the Beyonce leap off of a building. I just, I cannot. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to start right. playing for a Gemini baby for you. Oh, I would never, Jesus. But um, I she had me looking up like compatible signs. And I looked up compatible signs for Libras, and the first one was a Gemini. And I almost flew off of my, <laughs> my chair. We work well together. My mother, my dad is a Gemini. So my mom had me with a Gemini. And 
interestingly enough, Kim Kardashian is a Libra. Kanye is a Gemini. Oh, so God. I feel for her every day because, because I know what it's like to be around a Libra-Gemini relationship. And I know what it's like. I've personally observed a Libra trying to like manage a relationship with a Gemini. It's burdensome. So so I, I feel for her. Um, God bless that woman. But I was like, my mom was like, I absolutely disagree with that. Absolutely not. She, she just, and then her like longest relationship after my dad was with another Gemini. So I think Libras and Gemini like attract one another, interestingly enough. And I think that I was trying to, I was really thinking about that because I was like, not that I really deeply believe in like astrology, but I, I do think there's like some relevance to it. And I was like, maybe if I had to think of compatibility, it's probably from the aspect that like, because Libras, Libras are the scales. We're like the only inanimate object of the um, astrology signs. I think, and the Gemini's are the twins. Like, there's that, there's that duo yeah, composition, the right? And then it's like same with Cancer. I mean, mm. sorry, Pisces. Mm. And I think Libras are able or can, when they're really trying, able to kind of balance out Gemini's a little bit, or like help them kind of figure stuff out. And I think that's why. Um, that's why there's a compatibility. But as far as just like naturally getting along, I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. I think it has to be an intentional relationship. Like it's very helpful for me if I if I'm if I'm gonna be friends with somebody or um in a relationship to know if they're a Gemini off top. First of all, I would never date another Gemini. But <laughs> but it's helpful to know like in a friendship if I'm dealing with a Gemini because it helps me really not take things personally a lot. Because a lot of them are just like, they just say how they feel. And it's very little. And not that other signs or other types of people don't do this. But I don't know. Y'all are, are very, it's the, the, the evil twin is really hard to, <laughs> to get along with a lot of times. And when a Gemini wants to be mean, they are brutal. Like yeah. they are some of the most brutal people when they want to be mean. Second only to Aquarius. I see. I don't even know nothing about, about cancers? that. I feel like cancers are trashing yeah, when you it's mess over true. a cancer, but in their natural state, they're like, not. they're pretty cool. Whereas I agree, Jim and I, like, we straight savage for sure. Yeah. Like, we cool and we savage for sure. Yeah, it's that's the <laughs> thing. Because the, the, like, positive or nice twin is, like, so, so charismatic and so welcoming. And it, like, makes you want to, <laughs> to be friendly with them or, like, get more involved with them. And then when you see that other side, it's, li it's literally, like polar opposite and I think that's why a lot of times people are so freaked out by Gemini's because it's like people don't understand how you can be the same person like right. have those different personalities within the same person it's very jarring to a lot of people I think that's why y'all are so hard to deal with and then just like the natural um, which I think like Donald Trump is a, Donald Trump is a perfect example of what will happen when, when a Gemini goes uncontrolled like un I agree. their entire life but, but in particular <laughs> when and immoral and like just that's what I mean by uncontrolled because morality is Gemini. like something that's taught to you that's what I mean it's like mm -hmm. a Gemini that just got to do whatever they want to do their entire life and that how they would end up he's the perfect example of that because I really think that um, and all of us all of us as individuals and even if you want to throw in the particular signs we all have our things that like we have to learn from others around us and I just think Gemini's, one of the things they kind of have to learn is like the importance of other people's feelings, emotions, opinions, because Gemini's naturally kind of feel like 
just like Kanye, he's a good example of kind of one in the middle. That's like on the edge a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. it's like he, he kind of has some good in there. He has some good in there, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for he has to be tapped into it. He if he's not tapped into it, he's slavery is a choice, Kanye. So it's like you have to. They have to really be taught over time and or reminded about other the importance <laughs> of under other individuals. <laughs> And so I think Donald is a perfect example of how that did not happen. And when that does not happen, how a Gemini will turn out. I love how we have to be civilized, like more yes. than anybody else. Sweet Lord. Like, oh, boy. Okay. We good. We good. Just be cool. Be right. For real. Gemini's like she said, you know how cool we is when we cool. You know those who know us. So keep it, keep it cool. No, that's not that's not good advice. <laughs> because it ain't us. That's well, this the is from a Gemini. Like for real, if you don't want to see that other one, like do the things that you know. Not not like that's like you don't want me to whoop your ass. No, you I know was what just you're gonna say. To I was just gonna say not like Suge Knight, but see, not like the the man who abuses his wife. Well, wash the dishes, then, bitch. That's how y'all no, act. I mean like. Typically, for me anyway, and all Geminis I know, it's some disloyalty stuff that will cause that other Gemini to come out. So here's a cheat code. I'm just saying, no, here's a cheat code. If it's on some disloyalty, trust me, you're going to get it. For sure. That's like my key. Like, disloyalty is almost across the board. Like, if I can trace it back to you being disloyal, then, yeah, I could almost, like, have no regard for you. Not, like, physically in your life, but, like, I don't care about your feelings, your spirit, your life trajectory no more. It's just be a terrible person. Like, I don't care. No, and I won't actively do anything to you. It's just, like... The treatment. I won't care. I will not be concerned with you. I won't pray for you. I won't pray against you. Sometimes it's a lack of... But uh, that's what I mean. Like, but you've done that at that point. Like, you made your... You've lost the grace of my loyalty. So, like, God bless you, but I don't care about you. I've said all I need to say. Okay, so... so, Oh, well, stay (laughs) solid. Um, So then... Oh, okay. So then the kind of the the other side of of, uh, apologies is forgiveness. And uh, when we first were talking about the subject uh, like a week ago or whatever, I was saying that I, I don't really know how I completely feel about... like. Well, I know how I personally feel about forgiveness. I just feel like it should be... Um, a priority for the individual that feels they've been wronged. Um, there are people that are not with that school of thought who really feel like you have complete decision over what you do and don't choose to forgive and that forgiveness um, is basically almost like almost like you said a minute ago, like grace. Like it's like an optional thing of benevolence. Like it's my choice whether or not I want to you know, give you this grace of forgiving you. Mm. And it's almost like I'm absolving you. People perceive forgiveness as completely absolving the person of all wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people are anti-forgiveness. But I do not personally perceive it that way, but I know that that's like a thing. So, um, I, I personally feel like, um, anybody that, that has, uh, wronged me in life, I think, Basically, at this point, yeah, there's nobody I haven't forgiven. Uh, <clears throat> and it, like I said, I don't need apologies. So most of the time, I haven't received an apology for whatever it was. I just, I just rash, I just understood it. I made a personal choice to like figure it out in my mind, like try to see it as the other person. It's another thing that's very helpful in trying to deal with forgiveness and apologies is to try to 
take yourself out of how you feel about it, how you perceived it, and try to put yourself in that other person's shoes. It's easier if you know them personally, a lot easier. Uh, and then trying to understand it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And if you, I guarantee you that if you can really master that, if you never get an apology, you won't need it. You'll be able to forgive the person if you can really see it from their perspective. And it's not always like an easy resolution. It's not always that, oh, they just, they meant well, but they just did the wrong thing. Sometimes it's like that person had no regard for me. They didn't mean me well, but Sometimes I can understand, if, particularly if I have historical context of like what molded that person to be that way or molded them to make those decisions. And that's enough for me to, like, if, if you want to say it as giving grace, but that's enough for me to like let it go a lot of times. It's, particularly like that's been very helpful for me if like people with um, uh, troublesome like parental relationships where you feel like to this day your parent really isn't who you need or want them to be or that growing up they weren't, or whatever. And a lot of times, I've, I've, I've personally observed that parents are like, it's very hard for them to acknowledge. Even the most raggedy parents, like mm-hmm. the ones that have just tapped out, they just been completely gone, they really didn't do any raising. It's very difficult them, for them to even see that they did something wrong a lot of times. Because mm-hmm. the ones that tap out will sometimes feel like, I did you a favor. Because being raised by me would have been terrible. So what do I owe you an apology for? (laughs) I've heard, I've seen and heard this so many times. Or they still feel like they did their best. And a lot of times they're dealing with their own childhood trauma with their parents. So they're like, I didn't do that to you. I didn't repeat what my mom and dad or my dad did to me. Like people that are, for instance, an example, sexually abused. That, that might scar them for the rest of their life and they're never able to tap in as a parent because they're still dealing with that trauma. So they, but, but they'll hold it because it's so traumatic for them. They'll hold it in their head as, well, I didn't like abuse you. You know, that didn't happen to you. I made the effort not to repeat what happened to me. I didn't traumatize you in that specific way that I still hold on me. So I don't, like I did the best I could. So I don't owe you an apology. They can't even fathom how, you know, how they owe you an apology. And in those relationships in particular, which is not always parental, but sometimes it's just familial relationships, it's very helpful for you to try to, even if you're not talking to the person directly, sometimes try to talk to the people they grew up with or the people that raised them or just try to figure out what happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And that can a lot, of, a lot of times help you have context for how a person could do this wrong to you or tap out or leave you or whatever or actively hurt you and it can kind of be the conductor for developing forgiveness if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i would agree yeah context always helps excuse me um for forgiving because it, it will help for me it's if I'm <laughs> so honestly, um, I, I do sometimes still withhold my forgiveness in ignorance. But when I realize that, um, um, I think about why I'm forgiving, and it's not for the other person, more or less. It's for myself, like because like a, holding back, you're doing just that. You're holding your energy back because you're holding all the negative feelings, thoughts, emotions for this wrong that was did to you, even if it's totally justified. When you 
like when you hold on to it, you essentially like freeze yourself emotionally. And you can think of it like, okay, it's not true, but like if you think of your heart having like a space, physical space, Mm. and you have, let's say, 34% is still blackened out. Well, not black, because black or is it's occupied. Like, because your your heart to fully function has to be just your heart. It can't be holes in it or whatever. Right. Yeah. So let's say actually thirty percent of your heart is missing, rather the theoretical philosophical heart, because it's consumed by negative energy. That same thirty percent cannot be filled by positive emotion or energy. So I think of it like that. I'm like, wait a minute. I literally will do that sometimes to help myself realize what I'm doing. Like I'm giving myself a better and greater opportunity to experience joy because I've released more pain. And like, there's some psychology to that. Um, I didn't make that up. <laughs> no, it sounds very Iyanla, but it's it's honestly true though. Like, cause both of us have been through like traumatic experiences and have all these dramatic ass relationships with different people in our life that like most of it wasn't, we just came into the world with them. <laughs> we didn't actively create them. Yes. And we've like maneuvered through them. So it's from personal experience that like um, if you are making an active effort to withhold forgiveness or a lot of times we're not even acknowledging that that's even a necessity. Yeah. Like we just have bad feelings about a situation or a person or an experience and we just refuse to like go relive it or go ever go back to it because it's too painful or we feel like we shouldn't be occupying our mind with bad stuff. But uh, but you have to like really look that stuff in the in the eye mm-hmm. and you have to sit with it for a while to be able to get over it, go get over it. And you can kind of once you do that you can figure out if forgiveness is really what's needed. So it, it's very yama, but it's also like very true. And you took it to another level. <clears throat> Excuse me because yeah, you can you can find first, like you said, if you want to forgive or even if it's necessary. Um, but you do. You have to look at it and figure out what you want to do with that energy. Because the longer you hold on to it, the longer it's just occupying space. Um, and then, too, like one of the first things she said, it's not, it's definitely not, at least with me, and I would challenge you to reframe it. Is not absolving somebody of the wrong that they did to you. Mm-hmm. It's going back to what I said. It's freeing yourself to be free, um, to just just that. Yeah, be free. Like, Because you're holding something like a tight grip. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. Let it go. Unclench. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> That's what the kids say? Pause. Pause, okay. yeah. <laughs> Unclench and like... <laughs> Enjoy your life. <laughs>